Thank you, worship team. Uh, thank you to, thank you, yes, amen. To our tech team, kids ministry, uh, nursery staff, greeters, ushers, it's amazing that there are still people in here <laughs> with all the people that are serving today. You're, you're, all of you are what makes Sunday mornings happen, and we so appreciate your open hands uh, to serve and to give what you have uh, and to serve us so well. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Mark Cullum. I'm honored to serve as the uh, Connection Pastor here at First Open Bible. And uh, we're honored that you chose to spend a portion of your Sunday with us here uh, at First Open Bible as we gather ourselves together to worship the Lord. That's why we're here. There's lots of other benefits about being together, fellowship and friendship and handshakes and hugs and all of that, but we're here primarily to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm particularly honored uh, to have been asked to share today's message in our new uh, series on Jonah, Grace That Is Greater. Yeah, I, I just, I, the first time I saw this graphic, I, I thought, uh, oh, we're doing a series on Jaws. Um, <laughs> You know, <laughs> we're going to need a bigger boat. Uh, <laughs> there are some parallels, by the way. Um, we'll, we'll touch on those over the next several weeks. And uh, uh, Pastor Harris has... Uh, uh, planned this, this month for us to focus on a particular book of the Bible. And uh, sometimes we just need to do that and just methodically go through a particular book of the Bible rather than a topic or a theme. All of those are great and have their place and we need those. But once in a while, maybe we'll just shift and, and just move our way through a particular book of the Bible. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the Old Testament uh, book of Jonah. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of background on, uh, on this book. Uh, uh, if you grew up in church, uh, you kind of remember a, a handful of stories from the Old Testament. Uh, they, they were the biggies, right? Uh, they're, they're, if you've read through the Old Testament, uh, through, maybe you do the reading through the Bible through the course of a year and you read through the Old Testament, how many of you found it can get a little tedious? Huh? Yeah, it, it's 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 a real labor uh, sometimes to get through certain of these writings. Um, but there are a few stories that you probably learned as children, huh? And I suspect that the story of Jonah was maybe one of those. Uh, Noah and the Ark. Hmm? You probably remember that one. That was probably one of the first ones that 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 you heard. Uh, uh, David and Goliath, uh, Adam and Eve. And the, you know, there's just a few highlighted stories that, uh, that we focus on in our early years as we come to understand a little bit of the picture of what God wants to paint of himself and his relationship with people. And uh, while people might remember the story of Jonah and, and the whale, uh, by the way, the Bible doesn't call this big fish a whale, uh, might have been a whale, but it just says this is a great fish, and again, we'll be talking about that shortly, but um, few people know anything more about the story of Jonah than just Jonah got swallowed by a whale. 
That's kind of the extent of the story. But in some cases, they, they don't know the rest of the story, and the rest of the story is the important parts of the story. Okay? That, that episode where God sends the great fish, to swim, that's an important component of this story, but it's not the whole story. I remember a radio broadcaster by the name of Paul Harvey. Hmm? Yeah, you remember that. John Reesner remembers that. He even waved his hand. He remembers it so well. And he would start off with this story, and then when you got to the end of the story, you found out it was about somebody that was a celebrity or something, and, and you, you just didn't see it coming. But then he would say, and he'd wrap up this story, now you know the rest of the story. Huh? Some of you said that right along with me. So what about this Jonah guy? It's a very short book, very short book in, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it appears within uh, the, a collection of, uh, of Old Testament writings that are called the prophets. And in particular, it falls within a, uh, a part of collection of this writings that are called the minor prophets. Uh, uh, Bible scholars have divided the Old Testament uh, prophetic writings into major prophets and minor prophets. Now, the reason that they are categorized this way is not because the major prophets are more inspired than the minor prophets. It has nothing to do with it. You know what it has to do with? Size. The minor prophets are relatively short. The major prophets are relatively long. Isaiah, 60, 60 plus chapters. Jonah, four. Not that what Jonah's message says to us is any less important. There's just less of it. Every, also, whereas every other Old Testament prophetic book is aimed primarily at Israel, Jonah's prophecy is unique in that it is aimed at a heathen people. It's the only one. Now, there's no end of discussion about whether this uh, book is historical, whether it is accurate, whether it is factual. Um, many people think that this story is one of the most preposterous stories that's ever been written. Fun for kids, but really, come on. A great fish swallows a guy. Yeah. That, that makes for a great story, but, you know, it, it, it's just not true. Many po people believe that. They believe that this story is nothing but a fable. It's nothing but a child's story. But there are a couple things that I think that we can consider when we read about not just Jonah's writing, but what else is said in the scriptures about Jonah. In first, excuse me, in Second Kings chapter fourteen, verse twenty-five, Jeroboam the second, he was one of the kings of Israel, recovered the territories of Israel between Lebo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. So, in the writing of the book Second Kings, which is an historical book, Jonah is mentioned. And God had promised that Jeroboam would recover all these territories. 
You read nothing about that in Jonah's book. So Jonah must have said some other things and written some other things that are just not included in our Bible. He was well-known prophet among Israel. I believe that there's no question he was a real person in history. And I take that primarily because Jesus mentioned Jonah. Have you found out that what Jesus has to say is pretty important? Huh? I mean, I mean, look in your Bibles. There's red letters, right? Okay. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says, One day some teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. By the way, if you're ever going to challenge Jesus, pack a lunch. But Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Further, Jesus goes on to say, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Listen up here. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah, and now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Hmm. Now, if Jesus believes and asserts that Jonah is a historical person, and the story that he recounts in this writing that we're going to cover over the month of October, I tend to take his word for it. I'm inclined to believe that this story is factually true. Well, why don't people believe that? Well, because they start off with what we call presuppositions. That is, they have already decided that supernatural things don't occur. And so if there's anything in the Bible that tends to be supernatural, and by the way, there's a lot in there, they will dismiss it. So when you begin by saying that God, even if he exists, doesn't really work in the events of our lives, when you conclude that before you look at any sort of evidence that these things could be true, you've already decided that it's not true. And if you decide that there's no such thing as supernatural workings and that God doesn't intervene in our world today, you're going to have a lot of trouble with the book of Jonah. It's just going to be nothing but a nice little story. One of the great Christian philosophers who's gone on to be with the Lord, his name is Dr. Norman Geisler. Norman Geisler wrote scads and scads of books. Uh, uh, defending the Christian faith and just a, a tremendous uh, soldier in the army of God. He told a story of a man who visited a psychiatrist to share a problem that was greatly concerning him. And he says, Doc, I have a terrible problem. And so the doc says, well, tell me about it. Let, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. What's the problem? Well, I believe that I'm dead. 
Well, the doctor said, yeah, that would be quite a concern. Uh, can, can I ask you a question? He says, sure. He said, do you believe that dead men bleed? He said, of course not. That's preposterous. So the psychiatrist reached in his drawer and pulled out a little pen knife, said, him, put your hand out, and he poked him in the end of his finger, and he started to bleed. As the blood was flowing out of his finger, this man stared at his finger, and in disbelief he says, well, what do you know? Dead men do believe. If you want to believe something or if you want to disbelieve something, you'll believe it or you'll disbelieve it. It all depends on the attitude of your heart. And even the most obvious evidence that you're wrong will not convince you. People walk through their lives day after day after day, year after year after year, believing the same lie that they've always had because anything different is uncomfortable for them. Some of you may have heard what's uh, known, I guess, in the profession of battered wife syndrome. There are some people that continue to go back to a man that continues to abuse them over and over and over. Why? Because they don't know anything else. And we find safety, at least some measure of safety, in what we know. God, help us to break out of the things that we think we know and open our hearts to the things that maybe we don't know as well as we thought we knew. There's a God who loves you. There is a God who cares for you deeply. There's a God who has, we prayed just before this message, there's a God who is more than able and willing to take away from you the things that you have been carrying around for so long. One of, one of the most discouraging things I would think for any minister is to see people continue to walk in bondage week after week after week. Oh, they show up. They show up at church and they come to the, uh, they come to the potlucks. They, they do all of that. But they continue to walk holding on to the same things. Why? Because it's normal for them. It's natural for them. It's what they know. God, help us to see that there is more to know about this life than what our existence has been to this point. So if you begin with the proposition that God doesn't exist or he cannot or does not do the miraculous, then all of the evidence in the world will never convince you. But guess what? If you believe that God can and in some instances does do miracles, then you're not going to have really much trouble believing that God will provide for you and that God will provide for Jonah. Actually, the story isn't really that far-fetched. Most whales uh, couldn't have swallowed Jonah. They don't have the uh, physical uh, capability to do that. They're either too small or their throats are too small. Uh, but there are exceptions. There are some exceptions. Uh, 
But really, that's not the most important question of all. Some people say, well, how did Jonah breathe when he was in the belly of the fish? How could he stay alive for that long? Well, I don't know. Maybe he was unconscious most of the time. I don't know. The story doesn't tell us. How many of you know that God's raised people from the dead before? Maybe Jonah died temporarily. I, again, I don't know the answer to that question. But somehow God was able to sustain him. And if God is a miracle working God, that's really small potatoes. You know? That can be a fun discussion, but it's really a side issue. What matters is three people or three things in this story. Jonah, the prophet, God, who called the prophet, and the storm. Those are the three main things. They'll get us to the conclusion. But the conclusion, as we'll hear in a few weeks, isn't what you would expect. Isn't what you expect. So, let's look at Jonah's story. It's found in, uh, again, in the Old Testament, toward the end of the Old Testament. If you have a pew Bible... Uh, it's on page 763. I can't help you any more than that, okay? When God calls, that's what I'd like to share about this morning. In verses 1 and 2 of Jonah chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. He said, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, the name Jonah backwards is pronounced Hanaj. That's of absolutely no significance at all. It's just... But his name means dove. That's what his name means. And he's the son of Amittai. Amittai means truth. The Lord gave this message to Jonah. I don't know how much clearer that sentence could be. All right? Anybody having trouble wrapping their heads around that? Okay. The, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. A simple, it starts with a simple command from God. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and announce my judgment. Jonah is told by God to go and preach against the city of Nineveh. It's clear, it's simple, it's concise. Jonah knows exactly what God told him to do. So what does he do? like many people before him, and like many people since, and maybe among people that are sitting here today. Duck. Yeah. I have that in my notes, duck. What does Jonah do? Verse 3 tells us, 
Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Nineveh was east of Israel. Jonah went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. He went west. Nineveh is east. He went west. Okay? This is east. God says, go east. And he just went <laughs> this way. Not only that, he didn't just go west. He went about as westy west as you could go. <laughs> to give you an, an idea of what we're talking about, let's suppose you lived in Los Angeles, California. And God called you to deliver his message to the awful, wicked people of Winslow, Arizona. Anybody been to Winslow, Arizona? You been standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona? Yeah, you know that song, right? Huh? It's 532 miles from Los Angeles to Winslow, Arizona, going east. But you decided instead you're going to buy you a ticket, grab the ship down at the port of Los Angeles, and head to Honolulu. Huh? Twenty five hundred miles west of LA. Tarshish was twenty five hundred miles west of Joppa. Do you get the picture? I mean when you think about it, and I encourage you to think about it, is there any more demonstration of disobedience that you can imagine? Is there any greater demonstration of disobedience and ignoring and going contrary to the simple, clear message that God has told you than this? I mean, Jonah could have just said, eh, I'm going to camp out here in Gaithifer for a while. And just not gone anywhere. But he knew he couldn't stay there. Why? Because he'd already found out that God knew where he was at because God came and spoke to him there. So he said, well, if I don't want God to speak to me anymore, I better get out of here. And I don't want to go in that direction because I might end up in Nineveh eventually. Let's just go on a cruise. So he heads on down to Joppa. And he finds a ship that's heading to a town called Tarshish, which is in southern Spain. Huh? Southern Spain is kind of a resort area. Huh? So maybe this was like Honolulu, Hawaii, for I don't know. But why did Jonah disobey? And why did he disobey so badly and so obviously? Well, chapter 4 kind of gives us a little bit of information. He says he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid God would extend mercy to these people. And guess what? Jonah hated the Ninevites. He hated them. 
And he knew, and he confesses this, God, I knew you were going to forgive them. I knew it. And here I am looking the fool. Why did he hate the Ninevites? Well, one uh, uh, great Bible scholar, he was, uh, he was on the radio. Anybody ever heard of a guy named J. Vernon McGee? Through the Bible? Yeah. Uh, God richly bless you, my beloved. Yeah, that's how, that's how he ended up as a thing. Yeah, southern, southern guy, yeah. Just, uh, uh, he said, he said oh, maybe it could be this. We, we do know that in the days of Jonah, the northern kingdom of Israel, which is where Gath Hefer was, was subject to all kinds of attacks by Assyria. Nineveh was one of the great cities of Assyria. They would come in and make forays into the northern kingdom and they would capture entire villages, killing lots of people as they went. Could it be that maybe Jonah had witnessed some of this? Could it be that maybe Jonah had lost family and friends through these invasions? And subsequent to that uh, formed a great dislike for the Ninevites. Has anybody ever done something to you or to your family? And it's, have you found it's really hard sometimes to extend mercy and grace to them because of what's been done to you? It's hard. I don't, I don't fault Jonah for being just a normal human being. Sometimes we idolize these names and, uh, and, and people that we read about in the Bible. They were common people, just like you and me, subject to the same emotions, the same traps that we fall into. So before we give him a really bad rap on this, let's consider what we would have done and how we would have felt had we experienced those things. But as I mentioned earlier, Jonah knew what God wanted him to do, but he didn't want to do it. How many of you ever tried to lose weight? You know what you got to do, don't you? But you just don't want to do it. Those little Debbie Swiss cake rolls things. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. I'm not giving up that. So Jonah, he says, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy me a ticket and go the other way. We're out of here. See you later, God. A great Presbyterian uh, preacher from the uh, 20th century, his name was Donald Barnhouse, and he would say this. He said, when you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you're going, and you always pay your own fare. On the other hand, when you go the Lord's way, you always get to where you're going, and he pays the fare. You like that? I like that. 
I like that. So Jonah, Jonah hears the word of the Lord. God speaks to Jonah. Jonah runs in the opposite way. So guess what? God speaks again. But in a different way. It's a little bit more dramatic this time. He seems to think he can outrun and hide from God. Oh, people. He's just like you and me. We think we can run and hide from God. He was wrong and we are wrong, if that's what we think. So God decided to speak in a different way. Verse 4 of chapter 1 of Jonah says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. Man alive. What is the matter with this guy? What is wrong with him? God speaks again by sending a storm. God was in this storm. These guys were seasoned sailors. I mean, after all, they're making a 2,500-mile trip. They better know what they're doing. They've done this probably many times before. They had seen storms before, no doubt. And they did what they would normally do in rough waters in a rough storm. They would try to lighten the load of the ship. But I suspect this was just no ordinary storm. I believe that they concluded there is something more to this than just climate change or whatever. <laughs> These experienced, seasoned sailors were crying out to their gods for help. Everybody gets religious when things go south. I'm not questioning their devotion to their gods. I'm just saying they're like you and I. We pump up the volume to God when things get tough. But when things are smooth sailing, when the waters are calm, when there's a nice tailwind, we tend to just enjoy the calm waters and the nice tailwind. But we get real serious about God when things go rough. I want you to notice something here too. What happened when Jonah resisted God? When Jonah disobeyed God? His disobedience not only put himself in danger, but other people around him. We might think that sin is just one sort of thing that's just between me and God. There are ripple effects to a life of sin that we can't even calculate. We can't even measure. We don't know 
the consequences of our actions, good or bad. But rest assured, if we follow a life of sin, if we follow a life of disobedience, it will adversely affect, the, affect those around us. Sorry, that's just the way it is. These men on the boat were suffering as a result of the disobedience of one man. I wonder how many homes, how many families, how many businesses, how many nations have suffered because of the sin of one or a relatively small number of people. You see, when we rebel against the Lord, he's going to pursue us. And he will get to us. And the harder that we run, the more damage we do as we try to escape. God, help us to not run away from you. Even if it's just for the sake of those around us. Did you find it interesting that the, uh, Jonah, who writes this book, he says that uh, Jonah was asleep in the hole. Jonah was asleep down inside the boat. Isn't that interesting? Crazy storm of the century blows up and Jonah's sawing logs down in the, inside the boat. Wonder how he could do that. Here you got all these pagan guys up praying and he's down sleeping. Prayer meeting? Indifference. Sometimes unbelievers can put us to shame. I wonder if it was because Jonah, maybe his heart was so hardened that he was able to sleep, that he just, he just, he was just numb to the voice of God. When we run from the Lord, when we ignore his commands, we'll find that quite often the pagans will show far more spiritual sense than we do. Once we begin to rebel, our hearts can quickly become calloused. A young man in the church, somebody got him a guitar the other day. And so uh, he was showing me the other day. I thought, oh, that's, that's really cool. And uh, so... Uh, so uh, he brought it out and he was showing me and I said, well, take your finger and do this and slide it up to here and down to there and down to there and down to there, you know, back like, and so, you know, after about two or three of those, he just kind of did that. Hurts his finger. Those guitar strings can hurt if the tips of your fingers aren't calloused. Those of you who, who work with hand tools, you know, over time, the inside of your palm can become, should become calloused. Why? Because it has to build up a resistance and a hardness in order to continue to work with those tools. I wonder if our hearts are that way. We can become so calloused in the world that, around us that we no longer feel the pain and the hurt. Well, Time for a swim, Jonah. <laughs> Verse 6. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. 
Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. You can run, but you can't hide. Not from God and not from people. Sooner or later, you will be found out. Verse 8, why, why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What's your line of work? Oh, what country are you from? What is your nationality? I mean, they are, this is big time interrogation. Jonah answered, Verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Well, the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. And they asked the most common sense question. Why did you do this? And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? You're the man of God. Your God's the God of gods. What do we do to remedy this situation? We've done all we know to do. We've prayed to our gods. We've lightened the load of the ship. Normally, those sorts of things work and at least get us by. But that ain't happening right now. So you tell us what to do to you to stop this storm. It says they cast lots to find out who did it. It would be the equivalent of us drawing straws. Okay? How many remember that after Judas, who had betrayed Jesus and eventually committed suicide, the 12, as they were known, were down to 11. They had to decide on a replacement. And they cast lots to find out who to add to complete the set of the 12. Now, I don't think... That necessarily means that's the, way, the methods we should use today to discern the will of God. I think we have other ways to do that. But that's what they did in those days. So it wasn't uncommon. Today, I believe we have the clear instruction of the word of God. I don't have to guess what God wants. I don't have to leave it to chance. God has already spoken. That is our guide. Now, God can reveal himself by whatever means and devices that he wishes to do so, to those who really want to know his will. But you're going to find it first and foremost in the written word of God. So the lot falls to Jonah, and the men ask him again, what did you do? He tells them the story and says, what do we need to do to appease your God? Verse 12, Jonah goes on to say, throw me into the sea. 
and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Now, you can read that a couple different ways. It could have been just Jonah, well, God found me. That's the way it is. Just throw me in the sea, and the storm will stop. Okay, I, this is all my fault. I'm not trying to blame it on anything or anybody else. It's all my fault. God help us to admit our own complicity in our own sin. Sometimes things can happen to us that we never asked for and we never sought out. We are not responsible all the time for what's done to us. But we are responsible all the time for the things that we do. Can I say that again? We're not responsible for the things that are done to us always. But we are always responsible for the things that we do. Period. Maybe Jonah was just saying, just kill me. Let's just get this over with. Maybe it was a, just, he was just despondent and said, well, let's just get this thing over with, you know. Yeah, in, in a roundabout way, yeah, he wouldn't have to go to Nineveh. <laughs> They're out in a terrible storm, one of the worst they've ever seen, and he says, just throw me in the water. Again, these are seasoned, expert sailors. Instead of throwing Jonah in, goes on to say in verse 13, the sailors rowed even harder, rowed the boat, even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Even they had enough sense to know you don't kill somebody that makes your life rough. It's not the answer. They had enough moral sense, a moral conscience. We can't kill you. Because they thought the minute they threw him over, that was his death. They would be complicit in his murder. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Do you think they knew what the reasons were? No. Other than what Jonah told him, but would that make sense to you? I'm running, I'm running from the Lord, so that's why this has happened to you. Okay. We'll go with what you say. But they had enough sense to know that there are times in our lives when things happen to us that we may not understand why they happen. But God has his reasons. God has his reasons. I don't know what all that you've been through, and I don't know what all you will go through. But I can tell you this, if you are a child of God, God has his reasons for doing so. These pagan spiritual people had enough sense to know that. The only way to appease God is throw me in the sea. I suppose there were other options, like help row. Maybe Jonah could have said, you know, maybe we should just turn around and go back the other way. I suspect that if he had said that, the seas would have calmed also. 
Maybe he was just in essence saying, I'd rather die here than go to Nineveh. Man. Have you ever dug your heels in that way? Have you ever acted a fool? How many of you found out that God's will cannot be thwarted by your little insignificant rebellion? Hmm? God's will will be done. And again, the men on the boat didn't want to do what Jonah had suggested. But finally, things got so bad. They prayed to God and asked for God's forgiveness ahead of time. They picked Jonah up in verse 15. The sailors picked Jonah up and threw him in the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck at the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. That's a big deal. No, we don't hear anything more about these sailors after that other than their immediate reaction. But something clicked in their lives. God calls to Jonah. Jonah runs the other way. God sends a storm. Jonah takes a dip in the sea. And now it's time for some underwater lodging. Verse 17, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. End of chapter 1. God sent the storm. God sent a message to Jonah. Then he sent the storm when he disobeyed. Then he sent a fish. The fish had a mission too. And he completed it. God had already prepared this for Jonah. And the fish's job was to collect Jonah, who was out floating on the common ocean, I suppose. And take him back. It's like Nemo. Hey, go catch him and bring him back, you know? And that's how chapter one of the book of Jonah ends. There are going to be a whole lot of applications that that are going to be drawn from this great story as pastor preaches in the weeks to come. But today I'd like to leave you with just a few ways, I think, that we can maybe take some observations from chapter one and apply them to ourselves in our own lives. The first one is, God help us to learn the importance and necessity of obedience. If you are a child of God, you are called to a life of obedience. God did not save you and then say, well now here are your rights to debate 
my will for your life. You can question me about everything. After all, you're the one who decides your own fate. No. We are not given that right. We are instead to trust the character of God. Because the greatest lesson I think from here is the price of disobedience is pretty high. It's pretty high. And most of the time, we are unable to pay it. Even if we think we'd like to try. Further, the cost will extend beyond just ourselves. Our disobedience can cost our children, our neighbors, our co-workers, our brothers and sisters in our own fellowship. I think it's safe to say that there are many of us that have and are going through some difficult trials. Have you ever asked yourself, what maybe is God trying to say to me? in the midst of all this. Maybe we can also look hard at our situation to see if God is just trying to get us to do what we know we were supposed to be doing in the first place. But we were too stubborn to say yes. I'm not saying that every trial is some sort of disciplinary action. It's not a a call to the principal's office. Matter of fact, I'm not even so sure that most of the trials that we face are for those purposes. But some of them are. Sometimes God has to correct us, and it's not always pleasant when we disobey. So make sure that God's just not trying to get your attention because you've ignored him. God spoke to Jonah, a supernatural occurrence. He brought the storm and the strong winds, another supernatural occurrence. He calmed the storm, another supernatural occurrence. He prepared and dispatched a great fish, another supernatural occurrence. And all of that is just in chapter one. We got three more chapters to go. What's another thing I think we can take away from this, or one thing that I hope we can, is no matter what we might think, God is still sovereign. God holds the power over all creation in his hands. I'm thankful that he's delegated some of those powers to us. Have you ever thought about the word recreation? I like recreation, don't you? It really means recreation. We're taking what God has given to us and creating it in a different ways. Several, uh, uh, not too long after we, we started uh, here at uh, uh, First Open Bible, uh, Pastor John uh, shared a sermon uh, and he, took, he showed various stages of the development of uh, toaster tweezers. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I still have those toaster tweezers. He gave them to me as a gift. 
What they are is it's a wooden thing that you can squeeze and reach down in your toaster and pull your toast out just in case it happens to get stuck and you don't want to burn your hands. By the way, don't ever do that with like a metal object. <laughs> That's the third application for today's message. No, I'm just... God allows us to use the things that he has given to us to better our lives. But understand, he's still sovereign over everything. We live and operate under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. He can use any situation and any circumstance for his purposes. He used the storm. He used the sea. He used pagan sailors for crying out loud. All to reach his messenger. Can I say to you, God is actively involved in your growth too. Of all of his children. He will use the circumstances of your life to guide you, to train you, and to use you in the way that he sees fit. So when the circumstances of life assault us, like they did the sailors, and we look for a message of God, maybe instead of continuing to run, we just stop and decide, maybe I should turn back. Maybe I should reverse course and go back to the place where God told me to go in the first place. Brent, will you come to me? The story of Jonah, I think, will, uh, has and will continue, if we allow it, to inspire us. Because the fact is, like Jonah, many of us run from God. We do. Can we just be honest with God and with ourselves? We run from God. Many of us have turned from his ways despite the fact that we know the right way we should go. You know what I found out in the years of my life? God is more committed to me than I am to him. God is more committed to me than I am to him. He has promised that he will see us through to the end. And he has promised that he will finish what he starts in us. As I said, there are a whole host of lessons that we'll be uh, confronted with over the month of October as we dig deeper into this uh, story uh, that, that Jonah lays out for us. And Paul makes it abundantly clear in Romans chapter uh, 15. He says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Jonah was written not just for Jonah or for the people of his era. They were written for me today and for you. Why? So that we can have hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for what God wants to do. So my prayer for me and for you is the same as Paul's was for his readers in Romans 15, verse 5. And may God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for the followers of Christ Jesus. Let's conclude with a word of prayer. God, we pray that you would prompt us just now to examine our own hearts. 
Lord, help us to think about those who are lost and how you want to use us to reach them. Just as your heart was drawn to eventually help and save the people of Nineveh. Lord, we don't pray that uh, uh, their evil designs and plans can just go on as before and bring people to ruin, but God, we pray for the souls that are behind and caught up in these snares. God, help us to pray for the salvation of everyone, not just the people that are like us, not just the people that we agree with, but Lord, even for those that are enemies of the cross, you prayed for them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Help us, Lord, give us a heart for the lost. Give us a heart for the Ninevites in our world, a heart that you express towards them as well. Thank you for this time that we've been able to be together today, Lord. Teach us and conform us more to the image of your son, Jesus. And bless us, Lord, as we leave here today. In Jesus' name.